You're listening to another New Hope Chapel New Hope podcast. Chapel podcast. It's, it's funny, we get various scriptures. Um, usually when I'm preparing for something like this, um, I, I usually don't have any trouble finding a way in. You know what I mean? There's usually one aspect of the scripture, one area that just comes out and jumps out at you. And um, it took a long time for that to happen this week. Uh, just working, and it's, it's funny because it's a familiar scripture. It's Ephesians 2. You'll know it when you hear it. And... Um, I'm like, Lord, why is, why is this so hard? You, you, there must be times when you read the Bible and it just, just goes right through you and nothing seems to stick. It just seems dry. It doesn't seem to help. You go to the Lord sometimes in times of trouble. But I find also always, 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 if you stick with it, the Lord will come back to you. I find that um, periods of spiritual dryness to me um, are directly related to how long my Bible has been closed. As soon as I open it up and start reading it, it all comes back. Um, it's been a busy couple of weeks, and you, know, you miss a day, you miss another day, you miss a third day, and before you know it, uh, all, you know, all of a sudden, it's not a part of your day anymore. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I came to realize that. Now, as I was reading it this week, more and more and more, um, uh, God as usual gives it to me. And the first thing that I, that I thought of is I was reading about this, because Steve last week, one of the words that he used that came to us was remember. The people failed to remember. They just weren't remembering. And it hit me, there was, there's never been a time in my life when I at least didn't know who Jesus was. I was in Sunday school from a very early age, from as, from as far back as I can remember. I uh, was uh, in the nursery school and uh, kindergarten at uh, Brooklyn Heights Methodist Church. And I was always hearing about Jesus. I was always hearing about what he did for us. I was always singing, you know, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves the little children. I was hearing more about what, uh, as I got older, what Jesus did for us and how grateful we should be, how he went to the cross for us, all of these things. So I grew up with the idea from the very beginning of knowing about salvation. There was never a time when I did not understand that Jesus was about salvation. So the idea of, of it being good news is like, well, it was sort of never news. Right? If you know it from the beginning, if there's never a time you didn't know it, it sort, of, it, it sort of can't be news. And so the idea became one of going back and trying to remember sort of our corporate memory. As a group of people that the Lord has gathered together for his purpose, what, who were we that I was a part of before that happened? Um, takes me back to... Um, the Bible, and realizing that the Bible is uh, one long narrative, a history of the people of God, going back to the very beginning when we see about uh, the call, the preparation, the announcements. We see about the Lord selecting a group of people that were going to be his very own, how he prepared them and tested them and tried them, and how there were all these various disciplines and punishments, how they were actually smackdowns. When the people of Israel had gotten God so angry, he's slow to anger, right? But that doesn't mean he never angers. He's just slow to anger. And eventually, the people of Israel had tried him so, um, so much that they actually, he took away from them the thing that they treasured the most, which was their land and their temple, and made them understand what it was to miss it. You know how it is. You don't know what you have till it's gone. Um, in this preparation, then, comes, we, comes a time when the Lord works with his people 
brings forth the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ, to announce a new way of life, a new understanding, a new relationship with God, and which we are in the middle of now, leading toward a time of complete fulfillment. We're in the middle of this story. Back at the beginning, in the book of Exodus, uh, I, it's hard for me to picture the book of Exodus without picturing um, Charlton Heston. Is that showing my age, I guess? But um, I... I picture Charlton Heston, and I picture Edward G. Robinson, and I think even Vincent Price was in there someplace. And that great, that huge star, um, Yvonne DiCarlo, um, all sort of bringing me into this story that I could understand about what the Exodus was and seeing the water um, go, and the, uh, go up and the people walk through and Yul Brenner uh, going through and, well, sending everybody through. Everybody died but Yul Brenner and his horses, it seems, and the water came down, and they're on the other side in no time at all. They're dancing around a golden calf. Before that happened, and they're over there uh, in the Sinai, Moses went up to the mountain and spoke to, to God, and this is in Exodus 9. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, And what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Don't let that word if go by too quickly. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. And these are the words that you were to speak to the Israelites. This is the people out of which the Messiah springs. God's treasured possession, who he chose out of all people, for whatever reason, you know, God could have chosen anybody. He could have chosen ten nations. He chose Israel for reasons of his own and made them his treasured possession, but as a covenant, and they use the word covenant here, the reciprocal part, the part that we have to keep, is we have to worship him and obey him and honor him, keep his commandments, and have no other gods before him, which turned out to be a fairly tough thing for people to do. You will be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. Um, is that a scripture that, that you remember? Is that one that you remember? Is that When I said that, is that like, had you ever heard that before about Exodus? I don't remember that one. It just slipped. It just, I've read the Bible before. I've read Exodus before. But the kingdom of priests. Israel had a high priest in the, at the temple, in the synagogue. But the, um, they had the, the, that you will be a nation of priests. And the idea of priest that a lot of um, what, that we have come to understand now that we are Christians and we are part of a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, one of the things we understand about priests that separates us from some other churches that have priests, is that the idea of a priest is that you are the connector between a person and God. The priest is the person that you go to. The high priest of the temple was the person you went to to give your offering, to give your sacrifices. This was the only person who was qualified to take your sacrifice and take it to God. You gave the sacrifice, the priest did everything, and you went home and go, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I'm clean until the next time. 
but there will be a next time. And I'll have to sacrifice something else. And I'll have to come back yet again to, with another sacrifice, give it to the priest who is the only one who can handle it, and he'll take us to that. So if they have a high priest, how can you have a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests? Obviously, they're using the word in a, in a more uh, generic sense. And in fact, it's, well, I was going to say it's in lowercase, but Hebrew didn't have a lowercase, so forget that. Um, the idea of priests was they would represent God to everybody who was around them. Sometimes this is forgotten, but if a person who lived in the surrounding area, if they wanted to become Hebrew, they could do that. If they wanted to become Jewish, they could do that. They could convert. They could go, there were processes in order to do that. If you wanted to join the nations, you could do that. And there were some, but it seemed like instead, Israel was always in a hurry to join somebody else. That, rather, that while there were people coming in, they were always chasing after other gods. They were always continually doing this. We see this over and over and over again before they come back and repent, have a time of peace, a time of obedience, a time of love, a time where it pleases God before, and no time at all, like other people, they start going, well, this way looks pretty good. They seem to be pretty happy. They seem to be pretty strong. They seem to be getting along all right. They seem like they're having a, you know, life is doing uh, good things to them. Maybe their way is better. What's wrong with their God anyway? In fact, one of the, a lot of things, we, you know, I, we do this all the time. I, I don't see what's wrong with this. I don't see what's wrong with this commandment. I don't see why I can't do A, B, C, D, and E. I don't see the harm in it. But we forget that we have to take what God tells us and say, this is true, and it is my job to surrender my will to him and go where he tells me to go. This is the nation, though, as faulty and flawed as it was, out of which the Messiah comes, the light of the world. They represent God, but I guess maybe they also represented the human frailty as well. By becoming a Christian, by becoming a Jew, by become, you don't become perfect, and you don't become the only person who then um, you have to say, well, I'm not going to, there's no sense being a Christian because I see that Scott Schuler doesn't follow it very well. Therefore, there can't be anything to Christianity. No, don't judge God by me or by any others of us. We just point the way. We just connect them. In Ephesians, this nation is getting a word from Paul, who was always of this nation, also of this nation. Uh, not only was he a, uh, uh, a Jew, he was also a Pharisee. And so he knew the law, and he knew, he knew the scripture, he knew all of these things. And here he is now telling people that come from two different groups that neither one of them is better than the other. The Ephesian church was filled, as were a lot of churches back in those days, with some people who came out of the Jewish temple. They were Jewish people who understood that this is the Messiah. They understood this is what they had been waiting for. Uh, a lot of Jews didn't know that because Jesus didn't come in the way that they expected. This is one of the other things we learn in Scripture is that the more we impose upon God what we expect him to do, the more trouble we're going to find ourselves into in expectations are a sure way to disappointment uh, and trouble. We let God be God, and we call upon him, and we expect him to do the things that he promises, but not in the way that we picture them so that it benefits us the most. Here we have the, um, those Jews were still continuing to fight, but then the Jews who had become Christians were also fighting. What they were fighting was the whole idea that anybody other than Jews should be allowed in here. We are the people of the promise. We are the people who are his treasured possession. We are the people who have been following him all this time. The Messiah is a Jewish concept. The Messiah has been promised to us for all these time. He came for us. And when he began to bring in 
all of these outsiders, there were a lot of Jews that didn't like it. They didn't want the outsiders to come in. They figured like this was something that violated their sense of propriety, their sense of right order. This is how I pictured it. This is not working out the way I hoped. Paul was talking to these folks and to the Gentiles, us, and telling them that Jesus, by coming to earth and dying in the flesh, died in a way that we would all now have access to God. The whole idea of, being, of having access to God, our whole relationship with God, changed with Christ forever. Never go back. But we can sometimes forget. We can sometimes forget what it was like sometimes to be an outsider. What, what, what might it be like for our people not to have known God, not to have had access to God, to be completely without hope. All of us know times when, we felt, when things felt hopeless. Usually they're about things that come and go, but imagine now being hopeless about your entire future forever, that the, the future will never be what you want it to be, that, that you have no hope. Why do anything, this fatalistic attitude, there's really no reason to do anything because what's the use of it anyway? Now, the people have hope. Jesus, the light of the world, went out and said, I'm, you know, I shine over everybody. Everybody can see the light. Everybody can come to Christ. Everybody is now welcome. Anybody who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Now you can come on in. And Jesus is dealing with people who just simply cannot get along. He's dealing with people who uh, are at odds with each other and fighting each other all the time. Now, the part about the book of Eph- uh, Ephesians to remember, one of the things that Paul does, uh, and actually a lot of the Bible does this. We saw this actually in the, in the scripture from Exodus as well. Um, in sort of highfalutin language, there is a thing called the credenda and the agenda. The credenda relates to the word creed. This is where you learn the truth. These are the things that are true. These are what you are to believe. This is what... Uh, you are to accept. You have one choice about the credenda. You can either believe it or not. That's your choice. You have it in its entirety, or you can reject it in its entirety. We are not given permission to take pieces and make it into something of our own. We're not given permission to come up with a third choice. We're not given the permission to do an option. Now, we're given the freedom to do that, but it breaks the covenant when we do so. These are the truths that we give to you that for you to understand and for you to accept. The agenda means now that you know what the truth is, this is what you do as a response. This is, these are the actions that you are to take. This is what the, the scripture is telling us about who he is, and now comes the instructions, the imperative. This is what we are called to do. Um, this part here, chapter 2, after actually chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, are the credenda. These are the instructions of what we are to do. There's not much actually to do here. Um, These are the things that God has done. And so therefore, since he's already done them, there's no reason for us to try to tackle them yet again. I don't think we could improve upon them very much. But the idea of of all of this is these are the truths. Go through this, take this, absorb this, pray about this, understand this, and then accept this if indeed following Christ is a priority with you starting with verse 11 in Ephesians. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's not negotiable, this is your DNA, 
and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ. Which of the people hearing this would have been just a a very alarming idea and a very comforting idea that it was no longer true. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The idea of accepting outsiders, the idea of accepting somebody from far away, somebody who was different, the idea of um, accepting outsiders is not always easy with people. I've belonged to churches, and so have you probably, where when a new person came in, breaking through that outer shell was very tough. Very tough. Uh, Everybody seemed to know each other. Everybody seemed to hang together with each other. Everybody seemed to talk with each other. Everybody seemed very friendly. If you were looking through the window they would look like a very friendly place. And you would go, I, this, is a, this is the place for me. And you go in and find out that you're practically shunned. Um, I can remember a, a guy who was a, a member of the church at Rockland United Methodist Church in, in um, uh, Ellicott City when I was there, said that, the re- that he came here because the, ch- the last church he had been in, when he sat down, somebody came in and tapped him on the shoulder and said, that's my seat. <laughs> um, you're welcome to it. I don't know what they're teaching here, but whatever they're teaching here, you're welcome to that too. Um, the idea of being welcomed, the idea of, 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 of being in, embraced is, uh, is something that is not natural. I think it's not natural to most groups of people. But in Christ, who shown the light and who drew, we know these people have been drawn here. These people have been brought here. Not only it is, it is um, our joy to do this, um, in every, every, well, I, I blew it. Not only is it our responsibility to do this, it's our joy to do this. These, in Christ, we are in Christ, loving Christ, inhabited by Christ, indwelt by Christ, with the Holy Spirit. We can hardly wait to welcome new people to the family of God. This is what we're here for. We are a holy priesthood, a, a nation of priests, the idea being we represent Christ to the world. And so as we take to the world the idea of who Jesus is and point to him and say, this is who you worship, when somebody comes in and says, I want a part of this, this is one of the greatest joys we have. Being an outsider is a very bad feeling, and we remember it well enough that even if, even if summoning it up through the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through the light that he shines in our hearts, uh, we, we, we can do this just simply because we remember what it was like, and we wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, anybody who changed schools a lot when they were kids, I happen not to, but I lived near Fort Meade, and so there was this constant parade of kids coming through. Most of them were either, they were either very sad or they were... Um, they were eager to sort of assert themselves. We had a lot of them who would come through in the military and, and just figured like it was, it was, they had a very short time to make a splash or it was a cry for help or whatever else it what might have been. But there was, um, those, the, the military kids who came through were almost always like that. They were always either very cowed or they were, uh, uh, they, but none of them ever really became a part of our school. And why bother? Because they want to be sent to Guam in six months or Germany or wherever else it was going to be sent. So it was, it was, from that point of view, it was almost like it was a waste of time. But being an outsider, I, I hurt for some of those kids. I can remember one in particular that I just, I just ached for this child. I didn't do anything about it, but I hurt 
So, you know, I'm on the right track. <laughs> um, we welcome the outsiders. Jesus, the, holy, the light of the world, shone the way here for these folks. It was a light upon their path. Um, Jesus, uh, uh, Paul is reminding his church, listen, also to the Jews, you were outsiders once. You remember. You remember that Jesus, uh, that uh, God chose you out of all the nations. You remember that you, know, that you didn't earn this. Uh, this wasn't an audition. You weren't along with all the other nations of the world saying, who gets to be God's chosen people? God chose you for reasons of his own. And out of gratitude and appreciation, you remember that God did this for you out of love and out of kindness. And this is how you're supposed to treat other people. Now that you are a Christian, now that Jesus has come, now that he has given ourselves to us, for us, by his blood, by his flesh, you are now a part of the body of Christ. And that is your identity from now on. He didn't take the um, uh, Christians and say, you're now Jewish. Uh, he, didn't take, he didn't tell the Jews that they're now Jewish. He said, you're now something completely new. There was nothing like this ever before. We're creating something absolutely the, what the world has never seen before. The other thing to keep in mind also, that, and, and Paul does this a lot, is remember when he's talked about the circumcision, he said, this is the work of human hands. Do you remember that, that uh, use of the word human hands, works of human hands? Um, Paul, in particular, when he uses anything that refers to the work of human hands, he's putting it down. He's telling you, this is the wrong way to go. This is not important. Uh, idols in the Old Testament, when people worship them in the Old Testament, they always said, these are just the works of human hands. They're, they're not worth it. They're not even as good as you are since you made them. They said, you're worshiping something that's actually you, that is not even as much as you are, and you're worshiping them anyway. Things made with human hands simply are not given the same level of any kinds of accomplishment of the spirit. And so what we're also seeing in seeing this is that we know that the, the circumcision, Paul is letting us know, put no stock in this. This is not how you tell the good from bad. This is not how you tell the insiders from the outsiders. This is not how you tell who is right from whom is wrong, who belongs and who does not. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Our relationship with one another, glorifying God, is what matters from now on. Uh, without hope. I read this uh, scripture again this morning, and this, this was the thing that, that uh, really hit me the most, without hope. The idea of being hopeless, empathizing with people who are hopeless, remembering when we were hopeless. I was an, an unbeliever for 12 years. It was a very long 12 years. I could remember the moment I stopped believing. I was in an American Airlines flight between uh, Baltimore and Dallas, and it was over Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I'm, Denise is, yes, I remember everything. <laughs> but that was a big moment because what I can remember other people who were not believers, when they, when they finally uh, dismissed Jesus and they walked away from the church, they felt liberated. I felt doomed. I, though I had known Jesus until I was 27 years old in some fashion, and something happened that made me think, this, this cannot, this cannot be real. My, my, this is the thing, when you start thinking your mind can grasp all this stuff, that was my big mistake, is thinking the fact that I couldn't figure out how God did all this necessarily meant it couldn't possibly be. My mind is so sharp and so good and so great and so all-encompassing that I knew that, uh, Jesus, that there couldn't possibly be any way 
any of this could be accomplished, forgetting that God was holy, forgetting that he was timeless, forgetting that his ways are higher than our ways, relying upon human, human uh, reason, throwing him over, and feeling all of a sudden lost. Um, there were a lot of atheists who were proud of being atheists. Um, I wasn't. I just, I just felt like um, uh, everything had lost its meaning, everything had lost its purpose. And I can remember driving down the street uh, on my way home from uh, work one day and listening to a, um, a lady on NPR just saying that the whole idea of God was, was, was crazy and, for, and something that is for infants, like Santa Claus, and you tell them this until such time as they don't need it anymore, and then you tell them the truth and they throw them over. And I can remember thinking, Lord, gosh, I want to believe so badly. Uh, how do you do that? How do you switch that on? How do you become faithful? How do you become faith-filled? How do you just switch it on? I didn't know. There was nobody to tell me about uh, seeking and you shall find. It didn't come until later when finally on my own I realized out of, out of seeking. But I can remember being hopeless. And I know that as the people here who, uh, that we were, our people, most of us, I believe, have probably uh, Gentile origins um, for the most part. We have a Blumenkrantz here, right, my love? Uh, as we go back, I, my, my uh, ancestors were named Fierstein. Um, but it's not like um, all of a sudden, I th- it's like uh, waking up and saying, I must be Jewish. I got I to gotta get out of the church because uh, you know, this is my origin. No, we, we, um, uh, a story if I may. I'm sorry. I have an uncle uh, who, was, when he was about 60 years old, was contacted by the Monacan tribe in Virginia. And, they, and he's, what are you calling me? He says, well, we are tracking down all the members of the tribe. And you are a member of the tribe. He woke up a Caucasian, and he went to bed a Native American. He was, <laughs> that's how it was for Doug. He woke up, and actually, when he, now he, he signs his emails, he signs them, Douglas Running Deer Branham. And so he bought a loincloth, and he bought the feathers, and he went the whole deal. He goes to the powwow in Virginia. He was, an, he was a petroleum engineer, lives in Houston, but his identity was changed. But this is something that was true because it's in his DNA. When he woke up in the morning, and, and as one person, he found out your DNA is this. This is who you are. This is who you spring from. This is your identity. You can take it or leave it, but it's in your DNA. You can't deny it. So at least from that point of view, that, that is here. Waking up one morning, I, I didn't expect to wake up one morning and find out that uh, as, when I found out that I had Jewish ancestors, that didn't necessarily mean I've, I'm, a, I'm a Jew. I'm not. I'm a Christian, a Gentile. Uh, most of my other ancestors were, were um, are Gentile. And it, it's not that kind of a change. It's not that kind of identity. This is one which is a conscious decision of the mind, of the spirit. I could not become a Monacan Indian no matter what I did. I was nothing I, I, can, I could do any, you know, I was watching, I, Doug was, has sent me some, some Facebook posts of them at their powwow in Virginia, and it was funny because I'd known Doug all my life, and now all of a sudden to see him dressed in I don't, uh, feathers and, <laughs> and, and dancing, it, was, it was just was really sort of a, of a shock, but Doug, Doug is accepting uh, who he is. The, the idea of this is that we are grafted in. 
uh, we are welcomed in, we are grafted in, our background is actually something for which we have been freed and, from, and saved, relieved. We do have hope, and we do have God in the world. Terribly important words. You, you were without hope, and you were without God in the world. Um, a horrible thought, isn't it? We who have tasted God, we who have, have drunk of the living water, now we can have maybe have some more empathy for the folks who are outside. I haven't been good at that. I have in my prayers, but that's about it. Not that prayers are nothing. But I haven't made a, I haven't made a part of my life's work, the idea of saying, you know, I know what you need. I know who you need. And I know why you need it. And worst of all, I think, I know what happens if you, if you choose not to. And I'm scared for you. Uh, it worries me what, what is lying for you if you don't do this, without hope and without God in the world. Well, continuing with Ephesians. Verse 14, speaking of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, and thus making peace. And then one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and to you who were near, the Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So they, he's working on the horizontal, the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, but now he's also saying we have to work on the, on the vertical. By working together, by obeying his commandments, by loving one another as we're supposed to, our relationship with God actually improves. And understanding that Jesus accommodated this, the light of the world, by drawing us to himself and accomplishing this in his flesh, the perfect flesh, so that we now have access to God in the spirit. So our relationship with God through Jesus is now deeper than it's ever been, ever been. And it only gets better if you pursue it. I remember that word if in the, um, the book of Exodus. I think the word if still applies. Um, that if we do what Jesus says, if we obey him, in fact, he says, if, if you claim to love me and you don't love your neighbor, what does that make us? Remember the word he used? A liar. If you claim to love Jesus, of all the things you could claim, of all the things you could do, of all the activities that you could follow in order to make you a good person, if you do this and do not love your neighbor, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. He is our peace. He accomplished us for this. And we do, by, by loving one another and by loving everyone, we make ourselves uh, more pleasing to God. Our relationship is, is deeper. Verse 19. So consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling 
in which God lives by his spirit. One of the things we've been talking about a lot over the past few months is our identity as the church. What are we? How important is the church? What does it mean? How do we hear it when somebody says, you don't have to to go to church to be a Christian? And we read what the church is and what the church is here for, a living temple in which the spirit dwells where clearly all of our instructions to love one another, to edify one another, to help one another, are severely compromised, if not ruined, by the fact that we have nothing to do with each other, that we're scattered, that we're all over the place, and we're completely apart, and we just run into each other by accident uh, someplace. Maybe somebody has a fish on their car or something. There's a Christian. I can tell by the way they ran that red light. I had a lady at uh, Rockland Church would not put a fish on her car because she was such a bad driver. And she was sure that everybody would, lo- would hate Jesus if they could just see the way that she, that she drove. She was really sure of that. So no, no fish for uh, Eleanor. Jesus is at the head of the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. Um, the, the, the one who's actually running our church. A Christian church recognizes Jesus as, as the Lord and relies upon him to guide, edify, instruct, correct, um, to use the church as he will. It doesn't always look that way to us, does it? The thing about God is uh, he, he's, so, he's uh, up to things that are obviously so much bigger than us, and his ways are not our ways, and we don't always recognize what he's doing, and we judge things by the ways of the world. Uh, we do that a lot. We're not of the world anymore. We live in a theocracy. Now, theocracy has become a dirty word. And there are a lot of people who are very afraid of it in the way that it's being used. But we live in a theocracy. Remember, we are citizens of heaven, and we are here on assignment. I forget that oftentimes. This is not my home. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm a citizen of heaven. I live under different rules. I have instructions about how to live in the world, but those are the instructions that that predominate. We do live in a a theocracy. The Lord is um, the ruler of all things. And it is he to which we, whom we give our obedience. It is he who is going to save us. And it is he who guides us as we go out and encounter the world as priests. We are, again, a living priesthood. The Gentiles were called. They were accepted by Jesus, cre- uh, made into a body to go out into the world. And as Jesus will later tell us, to make disciples of all nations. We are the temple, the spirit dwells within Our identity is in Christ, and Christ is clear about what it is that he's asking us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we do thirst for you. As the world calls us the different things and the world tells us the different things we can do, as the world tells us what the church's role is within all of society, we look to you. What do you want, Lord? Help us to understand, Lord, what it is that um, you have have for us. Comfort us and lift us up. Guide us, instruct us, enfold us in your arms. Comfort us. But most of all, Lord, just continue to use us to do your purpose. For more than anything, Lord, we want to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's Located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body larger of Christ body that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.